Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. view I've got a little tripod on uh so 7 p.m we're live that's it i've got no doubt in my mind that instagram's working fine is facebook working fine i don't know last week allegedly the sound went off but i think it went on again is the sound working who knows is there anyone on facebook anyway so i don't know um if anyone does well there's no point in saying it because there's no anyway uh we'll assume it's all working um am i at the right place seven o'clock and it's tuesday yes i am at the right place so um if you've got any questions by all means ask me directly if you haven't got any questions then i'll be talking about some questions here which you may or may not find interesting if you find interesting then stay if not then um keep scrolling or whatever you do on instagram or facebook um but yeah here see if i can keep your attention so question number one is why do other clinics offer discounts stroke incentives to book surgery but your clinic does not oh right well we're not allowed to well there's i guess there's two reasons one reason is we're not allowed to so even if we wanted to we're not allowed to because we are members of barps barps is the plastic surgery association british association of aesthetic plastic surgeons and if you're a member of barps um, you are not allowed to offer any discount or incentive uh, because you are not allowed to be seen to be incentivizing surgery. Surgery is a medical procedure. People kind of seem to think that cosmetic surgery is somehow more of a commodity, more of a purchase. But at the end of the day, cosmetic surgery is still surgery and it's a medical procedure performed by a doctor, a medical professional. And so it is not something that should be uh, encouraged. If a patient is right for surgery, then they're right for surgery. If they're not right for surgery, then they're not right for surgery. We are not allowed to say if you book this month, you get £500 off because that will be incentivizing someone to have a medical procedure, which is against the BARPS guidelines. So that's one reason. Um, And we are all BARPS members. And that's the problem is that when you're not a BARPS member, you can kind of do what you want. So a lot of people um, offering this sort of surgery are not BARPS members, and so they don't have that kind of code of conduct to to work towards, because I do think that some clinics do offer discounts and incentives. Um, But having said that, even though that is the case that uh, we don't because we can't, uh, also it doesn't really fit with the the kind of the brand and the brand ethos. Um, We're not really looking for the end I mean I know price is an issue and I know it is um, but we do not kind of attract patients who are looking purely on price if you're looking purely on price you will get it cheaper elsewhere Um, so we are it is a competitive market and we do try and be competitive and I think we are competitive uh, but we're competing in terms of the care that we're giving the service we're giving the amount of contact we have with patients that's where we're trying to compete with other clinics 
we're not trying to compete with other clinics on price. So if price is your only uh, um, sort of discriminating factor, then we're probably going to lose. But if you are looking at the service, the aftercare, the training, um, the expertise of the surgeons, then I think we can compete on those things. So, and, and I've always said, you can't really compete on both. You can't compete on service and on price. You know, if you're going to have the, the best price, you can't have the best kind of luxury kind of service and have the cheapest price. You can't do both. You have to choose which one you, you're going to do. And we are choosing to, to go on that one rather than the price one. So we are trying to push everything into the amount of value that we give in terms of the service that we give rather than giving you know cutting costs and trying to do the sort of cheapest so yeah having a discount or an incentive doesn't really fit with the brand um with the brand doesn't really fit with the brand and the other thing is that um I t I t i'm not a massive fan of apple to be honest with you in terms of the computers i'm all right with the phones but it makes it a bit easier. You know, if you got go with Apple, you know Apple, you never give discounts, do they? So it makes it a bit easier, doesn't it? I, I find if you're going to buy an Apple, because you just buy it any time. With other stuff, you're kind of always thinking, oh, well, there's going to be a discount. Is there going to be a Black Friday thing? Is there going to be a, you know, discount, something like that? So you might not go. So, you know, you can rest assured they're not going to be a discount, not going to be a special offer. There's not going to be a Black Friday deal. There's no discount for cash. In fact, cash is a little bit um difficult to manage because you have to go and pay in at the bank and stuff and they charge us so actually we prefer a bank transfer than cash to be honest with you but anyway there's no discounts anyway essentially the only way there is uh i shouldn't really call it a discount but if you are having a joint procedure it is cheaper than having the two procedures separately that's not like a discount or incentive that's just because it's one hospital stay one surgical packs opened so there's an economy of of that and so that is passed on. So that's not necessarily a discount if you have two procedures, but it's just basically cheaper because it's cheaper to fulfill that. So it would be kind of not great if we just added the two together and charged you because that wouldn't be in line with what it was kind of costing us. Um, so yeah, we do not offer any discounts or incentives. So you don't have to ask. It's a bit like uh, those car dealerships, you know, like Motorpoint and stuff. I find it quite i shouldn't name names because i don't know if that is one of them but some of them they say look don't don't haggle because it's already the best price i feel like saying it makes it a bit easier personally for me i'm not i don't really like the haggle stage of it um so you know it, it, in it, it for some reason some people it might make it a bit easier because you don't want to feel like you're missing out on a deal if someone else is doing a bit of um a bit of you know a bit of wheeler dealing and trying to trying to negotiate on the price you think oh why didn't i um why didn't I need wheelie deal? So there's no wheelie dealing, no incentives, no um, <clears throat> no discounts. Do we use drains when performing surgery for a tummy tuck? Yes, we do. Um, and when preforming, hmm, we do. Uh, you know what? I think one of the problems with this day and age is everyone gets on the internet and they all get onto quite technical stuff and I I'd consider drains to be quite a technical thing and if I was a patient I wouldn't worry too much about it 
whether you have a drain or not. That's not going to be a big deal, I would say, for whether you have surgery or not. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. But a lot of people kind of um, get into it. And I'm like, it's kind of like a surgical thing there. And the, 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 there is an issue around the use of drains in general uh, in plastic surgery. Um, and we are moving away from them. And there are many surgeons who are not using drains for tummy tucks. And there is certainly a benefit in not using a drain because patients don't like drains. Um, patients don't like drains, they're uncomfortable, um, potential source of infection. There has been uncertainty. I have had a case where actually putting the drain in has caused a hematoma because um, I think I must have nicked the little blood vessel and I put the little trocar in. So they, they're, they're not without their issues. However, if someone tries to tell you, oh, I don't use drains and it's much better not to use drains, you've got to say, well, why do people, why do people do use drains there's got to be a reason to use them so you've got to see both sides so i completely acknowledge the benefits of not using drains uh, and as i say i've moved away from them in most of the surgery that i do but i still use it for tummy tuck simply because um mainly for seroma rather than hematoma so seroma is kind of wound fluid that can collect a week or so afterwards hematoma is blood that collects instantly uh with the sort of the day of the surgery and you can still get a hematoma even with a drain but uh, the seroma is much less likely with a drain because the drains we use are suction drains They're under a negative pressure, so suck the two sort of space, the space together. Um, I do use quilting stitches to close down that space, but I do also augment that with a drain because I feel that there is less risk of seroma if you can get those two layers to stick together um, personally. And there is, there is evidence out there to say that it is safe to not use a drain so the people who are not using drains are, you know, within the scope of, a, of normal practice. But then there are also people like myself who do use drains. So it's acceptable both ways. And it's really just about experience and a, a surgeon's kind of um, views on it. And when you look at the figures for uh, seroma and things, they say that there's quite a low seroma rate for people who don't use drains. But my seroma rate is really low in terms of the fact that I've had one that I can remember. Um, certainly for a cosmetic tummy tuck, I've certainly had more when I'm doing Dieppe flaps and things for um, for patients who are having breast reconstruction. But but in terms of cosmetics, I think I've only had one. It was many many years ago, like ten probably years ago. So um, so anyway, but uh, so there's pros and cons with drains, and it's something to, certain to discuss. Um, uh, it's an interesting one. Um, <clears throat> Do you use Arion Polytechnic or Nagel implants? Honestly, who's written it? I think this is, um, is, is this Amy's written this? Arion Polytechnic. Now, Nagel, yes, Nagel is a make of implants. Is Arion a make of implants? A-R-I-O-N? Is that actually a thing? I've never heard. I mean, this is this is where it comes to you should have done the research before you've done the um, Arion breast implants. Oh my God, it's coming up. Laboratoires Arion. Right, they are. They do. <laughs> oh God, no! Don't tell me Polytechnic exists as well. Polytechnic breast implants. Now, Polytech, I think you mean Polytech, do you? Now, Polytech I'm okay with. So Polytech, yes, I use. Nagel I use. 
got to be honest, full disclosure, never heard of Arion breast implants, but they do indeed exist in the world. Arion breast implants, who knew? There you go. Um, so no, I don't use Arion. Uh, no, right. It was oh my father, Dr. Arion, plastic surgeon, invented them. Okay, sorry, Dr. Arion, I wasn't familiar with your with your implants. Um, what I would so yeah, is that the question? Do you use so I use Nagel and Polytech. I do use the Polytech the, the Nagel. I can use any make. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I've never used Arion. Never even heard of Arion. Um, the what the only sort of disclosure is that the hospital needs to be able to get them. So we need to be able to. Uh, get the implants, but I'm not tied to any manufacturer. So if you've got a view about a particular make, I will use it. I got a, I would be a bit anxious about what using one I've never heard of. I mean, there's quite a few big companies: Mentor, Seba, um, um, uh, what's the other Polytech one? Oh, there's another Polytech one. So Polytech, uh, sorry, not the other Nagel one. Nagel's UK. There's a French one. Oh, it's GC Aesthetic. Anyway. Um, that's going to do me in now. Uh, so anyway, I use any make that I've heard of. I've never heard of Arion, so I would be anxious about using Arion. But certainly Polytech and Nagel, I use regular, regularly uh, used Polytech today. Uh, or Motiva is the other ones, but they seem to be big at the moment. Uh, but I use any kind of make um, as long as I've kind of heard of it and we can get hold of it. Uh, and, I, and again, the main differences in the implants is... Uh, is in terms of the surfaces and the mates have slightly different warranties so that's something to be aware of <clears throat> so so we can certainly discuss the differences in terms of warranties and as i say from your point of view it's going to be mainly the shell that's going to be different and the risk profiles are different with different shells so i use all the shells i use smooth shells textured shells polyurethane shells um <clears throat> and they have all have pros and cons so i will use whatever you want after a discussion about the pros and cons of all of them I'm not one of these people who just use one type of implant. And personally, I think not, you know, I think I think probably some patients quite like it if you just use one type because it takes that decision away. But I feel like I've got to have a discussion with the patient about the pros and cons and let them know what's available. So that's what I do. I try to let them know what's available. Let you know, not them, you. Uh, Peony, what you got? First, thank you for this morning. Right, God, Peony. I, you see, this is the problem when you have people whose names are different to um, who their real name. Right. <laughs> thank you. That sounds a bit dodgy. Thank you for this morning. My meds are slowly wearing off with discomfort, increasing no pain and manageable discomfort. Would you stay camping before bed or holding off? Right. Um, so, <laughs> right, Sarah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think before bed. I mean, I usually go with ibuprofen and paracetamol, kind of normal painkillers, um, and you can't go that far wrong. The only thing with ibuprofen, you've got to be a little bit careful because it can upset your stomach. So if you're going to have something to eat, maybe have some uh, ibuprofen, but certainly paracetamol. Um, the other one's the codeine. I don't know if they're giving you codeine, but the codeine ones, you've got to be a bit careful about constipation. So you don't want to take too many of those. So I wouldn't necessarily kind of take them just for the sake of it. I think it's not unreasonable to have some painkillers before bed just to make sure you get a good night's sleep. But if you're not in much pain, I probably wouldn't um, wouldn't go too heavy on the painkillers. And yeah, codeine. So codeine's good painkiller, but it makes you feel dizzy. I don't know if you had it before. It makes you feel dizzy, makes you feel sick. Feel constipated, so just be a bit careful so with that. And I would 
probably, if you can, stick with the ibuprofen and paracetamol. Uh, and I think it'd be reasonable to have one before bed just because you get a good night's sleep because sleep is important. Um, so, so yeah, and I'm good, if you're not in pain, yeah, don't take them regularly and hopefully you won't be in pain, you know. Um, good. Um, yeah. Um, uh, that Jake, take after having a breast reduction in 2019, I feel that I have excessive tissue fat below my armpits bra line. Is liposuction an option to remove this? I'm not overweight. I've tried exercise. Thank you. Yes. Uh, J uh, is it Jake? Take? Yes, it is an option. And this is a uh, can be an issue when you do a breast reduction. And it's something that sometimes you don't kind of notice so much when you um, when you do the uh, when you sort of focusing on the breasts. But often patients have a bit of lateral fullness and you can't really get to that lateral fullness with a breast reduction. Same way with the tummy tuck, you can't get to the lateral sides. You kind of it kind of peters out towards the sides, but you can get to the lateral uh, fullness with liposuction. So um, sometimes you do it with, uh, you know, at the time of a breast reduction. But certainly if you've had a breast reduction and you feel you've got excess there, liposuction is one of the areas that liposuction does work well in those sort of side lateral chest wall area. So uh, for sure, that is for sure an option and good good that you've preempted that overweight thing because if you are overweight obviously weight loss is is good to do first but if you're not overweight then yes liposuction would definitely be an option for that hi joe and sarah thank you for your names. um but yeah for sure that would be um thank you um Right, simple, not so much a question. This is like more of a statement. Post-op breast implant scars on black skin. That's kind of like a statement, really. Um, I, I'll make a question out of it. So maybe the question is, what do breast implant scars look like on black skin post-op? Uh, would be probably the question I would make out of that. Um, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. I think, um, I mean, breast implant scars usually fade pretty well. They're about five centimeters long in the fold of your bra, and they usually fight, fold, uh, fade pretty well. So you don't often get problems with them. Obviously, you can get problems with them, just like you can get problems with any scars. And I think specifically this person, this person maybe has mentioned black skin because you can get uh, more problematic scarring with darker skin colors, uh, hypertrophic keloid scar, particularly if you've got a history of a, of a keloid scar, I would be worried. But if you haven't got a history of keloid scar, there are certain areas which have got an increased risk of keloid scar, shoulders, chest here. But the, the breast implant scar is not a high risk area for a keloid scar. So if you haven't got a history, just because you've got black skin doesn't necessarily mean that you would have a higher risk of um, having. A, I wouldn't particularly worry that you're going to get a problem with it. It usually settles pretty well, that scar. But just like anything in terms of having surgery, you've got to weigh up the risks versus the benefits. And there are risks that the scar can become hypertrophic or raised, um, but it is very rare. I think I'm right in saying I've only seen it once. I think I probably have seen it more than that, but one that I can remember, and that was on a Caucasian patient, um, had quite nasty scarring. <clears throat> but usually the scar settles beautifully uh, in, all, in all skin types. Um, uh, same, I mean, breast implant, I mean, more a worry with breast reduction, the breast lifts because they're kind of around the nipple and they're on the front. So that would be more of a worry there. But even then, it can still settle beautifully in all skin types. And the hope is always that it will. But uh, you need to be prepare, prepare for the worst and hope for the best. That's the uh, motto of the clinic right above the door. Um, will a flat mold disappear by its own if not 
then how to remove naturally and how to make lighter. Um, I did a, I did a video a while ago about how to remove a mole naturally because kind of like a mole in itself is natural so there's no natural way to remove it because it's not you know it's pretty unnatural to, to surgery I guess God, there's a philosophical debate there surgery is unnatural isn't it it's against nature nature is doing things the way it wants to do things and medicine I mean let's open it up is medicine unnatural I mean, let's let's discuss that is is doing intervening with the normal process of events are we getting in the way of nature is everything unnatural is building roads is that unnatural because we're meant to like walk wearing clothes is that unnatural anyway Going back to the mole removal naturally question. Um, so yeah, I, I get a lot of this on YouTube about removing a mole naturally. I don't, you know, I think what they mean is like at home with some kind of vinegar or whatever, cod liver oil or something. I don't know. There's all. So I'm not. I'm not your man. If you want to know how to remove a mole at home, um, I I wouldn't recommend it. Um, and certainly a flat mole. I mean, if anything, a flat mole is going to be more likely to be concerning than a raised mole. Raised moles, often that's not a bad sign of the fact that it's raised. They're more troublesome, but they're often more likely to be benign a raised mole than a flat mole. So, you know, as a, you would have, well, I would say you should get it looked at at least to make sure it looks okay. And if you are going to remove it, I would say it is good practice to send it for histology. I mean, maybe not all of them. Maybe you can say, look, that's definitely fine. You don't need to send it to histology, but at least have it looked at. And you can't do that if you do it at home. The, and, you know, is there a way to make it lighter? Well, there's bleaching it. I mean, I'll, the, the short answer is no, I won't get into it. But there are things like bleach, bleaching agents and what have you can use to bleach the skin and potentially bleach a mold. But yeah, you don't want to go there because how are you going to get the bleaching agent just on the mold? How are you going to know how much to use? What if you bleach too much and it goes depigmented or not enough and it's still colorful it's just not something i'll get into at home you know in a nutshell uh you can't really uh, uh, assess and treat these things on your own uh and a flat mole you know the natural thing to do is to leave it alone if you want to have it removed get it looked at by a doctor and um and if it's benign, then you can make a decision cosmetically whether it's better to have it removed or not. But I would get a doctor to remove it in the most effective way possible, which means removing as little tissue as possible to get rid of the mold, but removing enough tissue to um, to make sure that it doesn't come back again. So removing as little tissue as possible so it doesn't scar as much. So the less tissue you remove, the less scarring there is, but removing enough so that the mold doesn't come back. That's the problem when you start doing things at home. It's judging how much if you're using some kind of acid or some. I don't even know what these people use at home, but I'm presuming there's some kind of um, acid or something to sort of burn the skin away. How are you going to know how much of a burn to to uh, to impose on that? Because if you don't burn away enough, then the mold's just going to still be there once it's all healed. And if you burn away too much, then you're going to get more scarring. So, you know, that's why when you, we do surgery, we just try and remove the offending area 
and we try and minimize the amount of scarring and minimize the amount of trauma we do to the surrounding tissues, which is not something you can really do at home. Um, so I wouldn't recommend trying to do anything to make it lighter or to remove it at home. Uh, I would recommend you see a doctor. And I know what you're going to say. Oh, you would say that because uh, you can go see a doctor, your GP, and just get it checked if, if you know if it's, if it's benign or not. So if it's not a cancerous mole, yes, they probably won't help you. But at least that's one thing that they're going to tell you whether it looks cancerous or not. Because obviously, if it does look cancerous, you don't want to go messing with it and putting stuff on it. You want to get it off and get it sent to histology because, um, you know, skin cancer is a serious thing, especially um, moles, which which can turn cancerous is a very serious, potentially serious problem. Now, this was a comment I remember seeing on YouTube, and I believe I answered on YouTube. I recently got dissolvable stitches on my lip and they've been there for three weeks. Should they go have gone away by now? This is my dissolvable stitches, uh, stitches uh, video, which does very well on YouTube. It seems to get a lot of comments. Um, not all positive, but you can't have that. You can't always get all positive comments, can you? You know, when you're a social media influencer, when you're in the public eye, you've got to accept that you're going to have people who are going to want to um, tear you down and say you're being unhelpful with, you, with your video. Because basically, like I say it depends on how long it takes to. I think the title is How Long Does It Take for Dissolve Stitch to, to Dissolve? I don't know how long the video is, but basically, I say it depends. And a lot of people say that's unhelpful, but you know, it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> and the thing I always go back at people because I get loads of people saying I've had this old stitches here there and everywhere and they're still there what should I do and I'm like talk to your doctor is your bottom line because your doctor knows what stitches you used number one because that is what the type of dissolvable stitch will depend on how long it takes to dissolve some dissolvable stitches take longer to dissolve than others so they'll know which one they've used they'll also know how tight the wound was so they'll also know when the stitches have done their job so when the stitches have done their job, if they're still there, they can be removed. You can remove dissolvable sutures if they're still there and they're taking too long to dissolve um, after they, you know, the wound is closed. But that's really for you. I can't say whether three, I mean, three weeks is probably enough, to be honest. But I can't say whether three weeks is enough because your doctor might be really worried about how tight it was. and might say you've got to leave it, for, you know, just leave it. It's fine. Or they might say, look, it wasn't tight at all. If it's still there, three weeks, we'll remove them for you. Um, on the lip, on the pink of the lip, it doesn't really matter if you leave stitches for longer, to be honest with you, as long as they're not causing problems, getting inflamed or, or anything like that, getting infected. It, it's when they go cross onto the white of the lip, onto the sort of skin colour of the lip, because you worry about getting little dots. If you get a, if you leave stitches for too long on the on that bit of the lip, then you worry about getting little dots. Um, so if it is three weeks and they're on the sort of skin of the lip, I think it probably would be useful talking to your doctor to see whether you should have those removed because you don't want to get those dots, you know, the classical stitch with a line with dots on either side, sort of like, a, um, you know, Popeye sort of cartoon scar. Those dots are those stitches that have been in for longer. Uh, and so for somewhere like a face, we try and get the stitches out quicker because we don't want those little dots to appear because we want to get a nice looking scar. But as I say, if little dots appear on the red of the lip, it doesn't matter because you can't really see the dots because it's, the lips red. So uh, that's my angle on that. So Facebook things going around around no comments. Who knows if the audio worked? Hope it did. Hope the audio worked. I've no reason to believe it didn't. I don't know what to do when they say it doesn't. But anyway, we'll just cross over that. Instagram always, um, always right behind me. So I'm out, by the way, of questions. So if you've got any questions, you are welcome to ask me and I will do my level best to answer it. 
um, post-op pain relief or anything like that. But in the absence of any questions, I will, you know, usual, put my feet up. Next week, be here almost certainly, or I? It's not holiday or anything. Coming up to Christmas now, isn't it? Um, it's exciting. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be here next week. So if you have got a question and you don't get it in in time, don't worry. I will be here next week, so it's not really too much of a panic. So um, yeah. So without further ado, I will see you next week. Top the stream. A question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.